unashamed of the gospel, standing on the truth of God in his word, the Bible. Hello, friends, Mike LeMay and David Fiorazzo, and we welcome you back for another edition of Stand Up For The Truth. Uh, We've got a topic today. It's sex, but trust me, parents, we're going to keep it G-rated, and we'll get to our special guest and talk about biblical sexuality after we open in prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity to talk about things that uh, we need to discuss from a Christian perspective. We ask always that you would lead us into all truth and uh, make your word come alive and help us to understand the scriptures as we uh, discuss this issue today. And we thank you for the opportunity, Lord. And we also thank you for another day. We ask that you'd give us wisdom. Uh, Teach us to number our days. We try not to take life for granted, Lord, but it's so easy to do so. And we pray that you would... uh, continue to lead us and guide us into ways we can be more effective for eternal things, things that matter. And uh, God, put your word on our heart and on our lips, and may we be able to share it freely and be ready for those opportunities as you direct us by your Holy Spirit into divine appointments. We know we are here for you. We live for you. We want to bear fruit for your kingdom, fruit that will last. So we ask that your will be done in us and through us this hour and today, the day that you have made. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our topic today, sexuality as a gift from God. Sexual intimacy between a man and his wife are a great gift from God and somewhat of a human representation of the deep intimacy Jesus wants with his bride, the Church of True Believers. When a man and his wife are sexually intimate, there is a very deep physical, emotional, and spiritual bonding that God blesses. But as Satan often does, he takes something beautiful from God and twists it to deceive people. And today, rampant human sexuality has led to a disaster of broken marriages, divorce, sexual brokenness, and even gender confusion. While joining us to see what God has to say about his great gift of sexuality for a man and his wife, our good friend from No Compromise Radio, Pastor Mike Abendroth. Mike, welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth. Mike and Dave, so super glad to be back on the show and appreciate both of you and your ministry. And when I think about this topic, it's amazing to me because the world um, knows how to sell. And if the world talked about product and price and place and promotion and the P's of marketing, they have uh, this down to a science, how to sell the lurid uh uh, sinful side of, of sex, but I, I think what's happened is maybe we've so recoiled against that or from that that the church and maybe dads and moms, even with their own children, are maybe reticent to talk about the subject because, well, maybe they don't want to be embarrassed or maybe they want to guard themselves from saying something inappropriate. Uh, but the Lord has spoken clearly in His Word with a great veil of appropriate language, and I would regularly tell folks. You know what, if the Bible says something, are, are we able to preach that from the pulpit? Are we able to talk about that around the dinner table? And if the answer is no, then it's our problem, not the Scripture's problem. And so our Lord Jesus, he could have said, by the way, a Song of Solomon, that's inappropriate. Uh, Proverbs 5, that's inappropriate. But when he came to earth, uh, he affirmed all the Old Testament, including all the stuff that talks about biblical sexuality. And so I think as Bible teachers, we... Uh, are forced to reckon with it and then teach everything that's in the Scripture. Amen. I agree, Mike. You know, I, I love getting old from this point. I, I can still remember back when I was a teenager, and the first commercial that I can remember seeing that was really pushing this idea that sexuality with as many people as possible is a good thing, and I don't know if you remember this one or not, Mike, high karate men's cologne where the man put on some high karate and all of a sudden women were attacking him from all over the place. And you know, that used to be kind of outside the norm, but nowadays the music we listen to sometimes, the, uh, the movies, even the commercials, all seem to point to sexual prowess being uh, equated with, with uh, really finding out and discovering what we are as humans. Well, it's so true, and they just are trying to sell uh, over and over and over. And I guess the bad news is these days, you, know, you, you just have phones, and you can just have anything you want come into your life and your your uh, your your family and your children just with a phone. In the old days, there was a little bit of subliminalness to it. I remember reading a book in college, Subliminal Seduction, and how people would try to just you know make some innuendos and nuances uh, to try to convey their point about 
sexual prowess and such. But now today, it's just awful with the Internet. I mean, we have the Internet in our pockets now and could watch anything and everything. And uh, that's why uh, even this weekend I'll be preaching Proverbs chapter 5 from the pulpit to the church because I think it's good to just reset our minds. There's a pure way to think about this, a holy way, a God-honoring way, and it's exactly opposite of the way the world talks about it. And so, you know, we want to be careful, and we're not trying to do this for ratings or anything, but this is a topic that needs to be addressed. And I have four children, and it was a great joy for me to sit down with my wife and talk to the children that initial time and then every other time. This is what the Bible says. This is God's perspective. This is going to be opposite of what the world's saying. The the ethic for Christians is not no or don't or it's dirty or something like that, but it's time and place. That is in the context of marriage and and I just find it so helpful to look at the Bible, and I just see the direct um, contrariness to what the world is selling, and that makes me thankful for the Lord's Word. Can you give us, uh, Pastor Mike, a sneak peek into what you're going to be talking about, like points from Solomon, what he's saying? Because you mentioned the Internet, and obviously it's an issue of the heart, but it's also an issue of our eyes, our decisions, and what we allow ourselves to meditate on. So what are some of the points, if you could give us a sneak peek into your sermon this Sunday? Sure. Well, what I try to do at the church is I just try to teach the Bible verse by verse, and uh, many people have heard, including your listeners, expository preaching, and the root word is to expose. We want to expose the people to what God has said, versus me trying to make the Bible speak in the way I want it to say something. So instead of me imposing my thoughts, we want it to show us what it's teaching. And so Proverbs 5 is its amazing to me because it's a father writing to a son to say the first half of the, the chapter is avoid sexual immorality, that is, everything outside of marriage, run from that. You can think of Joseph fleeing from Potiphar's wife, and even 1 Corinthians 6, flee sexual immorality. But then he doesn't stop there. Then he changes, and using language that we pretty much know what he's saying, but it's cloaked with with this great poetry, he says, I want you to enjoy sexual morality. So he's giving some commands to his son so that when he's older and married, that he actually obeys his dad's direction and enjoys his spouse in the bedroom. Is that drink water from your own cistern? That's exactly right. And, and, and by the way, that's singular. You know, we, we, we laugh about it, and it's fun, and then I agree that we should laugh. But he's talking about a singular cistern there. He's not talking about, you know, everybody else's cistern. Uh, by the way, back in those old days, you would guard the cistern that you had. A cistern would collect rainwater, and it was valuable. It was important. It was It was something that you just didn't you know, uh, have anybody else to use. It was private, and you would be jealous over that. Uh, you can even think of Exodus chapter 2. Uh, there's a cistern issue there. Uh, but it, it, it's something that uh, the, the, the writer is saying, you know what, when you're thirsty, son, uh, and you're out playing football, and it's two-a-days, and you, you, you quench your thirst, because your body is telling you, you know what, you need to drink water. And in a similar fashion, God has made our bodies as sexual bodies, and we have hormones and desires. And, son, when you're married, there's a way to quench your sexual thirst. But you spend that energy at home. You don't, you don't go elsewhere. Uh, this is where God has blessed it, and everything outside of that is, is not holy. And, Mike, as you point out later in, the, uh, in this chapter of Proverbs, Solomon is really saying, enjoy your wife, and enjoy her, and his language is quite explicit. But I want to go back up to verses 3 through 5 for a minute, because here's his warning, and he says this, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. That's a pretty explicit warning about where wrongful sex can lead us. Can you imagine, Mike, when he, Solomon, is sitting down with his son? I wonder if the son was paying attention during this little talk. (laughs) 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 
I mean, he's essentially saying what Thomas Watson, the Puritan, and John Owen would say, that if you don't kill your sin, it's going to kill you. And here's a, here's a, a, a way, and of course it, it, it translates into if you're a young lady and you want to be virtuous, watch out for men too. But here's Solomon talking to his son. And what I like about this is here's essentially the proverb, and it goes for chapter 6 and 7 as well. You're either going to listen to her words, the seductress, or Solomon says you're going to listen to my words, and in this particular case, they're inspired words. So there's two ways to go. You either listen to the siren song of the world, or you listen to Scripture. And they're not going to both say the same thing. And you want to make sure that you're careful, because here's what biblical wisdom says in the book of Proverbs and elsewhere, that there's a later, that there's an after there's a morning after. There are consequences. There are cause and effect. And what Solomon says in chapters 5, 6, and 7, don't forget to remember, there's a consequence to what you're going to do. And in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. So be very careful. You know, Mike, I want to jump in there for a second. Excuse me, David. But when you mentioned consequences, I, I think maybe the saddest, most tragic thing I've seen happen in America is we've eliminated one of those consequences of sex outside of marriage now. We just killed a child. Abortion. I know. Well, you can tell the depth of depravity when it comes to this and the desire uh, for uh, forbidden sex when people are willing to kill a child uh, because of that. And... Um, I'm a pastor, been a pastor for over two decades now. I thought early on when I got into ministry that I'd probably end up adopting a child sometime, because if some uh, lady has a, a child that, that is out of wedlock and they don't want to keep the baby, oftentimes they would give the baby to the pastor because they would think, oh, the pastor would take care of the child. But most of the pastors I know haven't adopted that way now because those babies have been aborted. And so... Uh, while every sin, including infanticide and murder of a baby, can be forgiven because that's how great our Lord's death is, and every sexual sin can be forgiven, and people can wear white on their wedding day because God sees them uh, cloaked with their son's righteousness, it still doesn't uh, uh, remove the fact that people need to make sure they're very careful when they think about sex and later, because whether it's venereal disease or shame, or um, the cost of it all, uh, there, there, there can be a baby involved, too. So, Pastor Mike, um, I can't get by something. I think a lot of listeners might have come across this as well, that Solomon, you know, in Proverbs, in this context, writing about sexual purity, but he wasn't exactly the pillar of sexual purity himself. How could he be when he took more wives than he should, concubines, and... Uh, how would you respond to some who would cry, hypocrisy? So why should we listen to him? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I think it was one of the children's responses when they ask, uh, when the child asked, uh, how many uh, wives and porcupines did Solomon have? <laughs> 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 Instead of concubines. And uh, if you think about it, all right, besides the words of God directly uh, or the Son directly, God the Son directly. Everybody's a hypocrite, and so does God use hypocrites to write Scripture? And whether it's Daniel, or whether it's Luke, or the Apostle Paul, uh, those men were all in Adam, the first Adam, and therefore sinful, and therefore they never could live up to what they preached, although God still used them, and he inspired them, Second um, uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. And so Solomon, yeah, he was not the model. Uh, people argue about when he told Solomon these things, uh, when he told his son these things, and uh, when was Song of Solomon written, and what about Ecclesiastes, and then now these Proverbs. And so I, I don't have any problem with reading something inspired from a man who, in fact, was a hypocrite, who didn't have... Well, he didn't live up to his position in who he was in, in God, uh, but that still does not detract from Scripture, because if, if that's the argument, all the Bible's worthless, because God uh, used men uh, moved from God by the Spirit uh, to write Scripture. And every author of the Bible was a flawed sinner in some way, shape, or form. You that's know, right. Pastor Mike, uh, the great 
hope and trust of all of us uh, in Romans 8, 1. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We know that our, our sins, all of them, have been covered by the blood of Christ. But I look at Jesus in Matthew, where he really raised the bar in sexual sin, saying that even if we lust in our hearts over a woman who is not our wife, that we've committed adultery. You know, I'll confess it. I'm 65. Sometimes I see a beautiful woman. I go, man, she is gorgeous. But that by itself it talk to us about the difference between noticing a beautiful woman and then lusting after a beautiful woman. Sure. I think probably as I talk to myself and preach to myself or talk to my son, who's now 23, or some of the men at the church and their children, I would say to them that this is not foolproof, but it's a good start. Uh, when you see a lady who's attractive, um, you should just keep your eyes on her eyes or face. Don't let your, your eyes wander. And it's that second look that usually is the difficult look, and because that second look is the gazing and wondering. Uh, if I see a man and he's handsome, I say, oh, he's handsome. If I see a lady and she's pretty, I say she's pretty. Uh, but I try not to go beyond that with the lady because I'm attracted to ladies and I want to guard um, from that. And, and I think for single men, it's even more important. For married men, um, they have, they have a, uh, an arena or an area or a place where they can exercise their, their desires for sex. And so uh, part of it is watch your eyes, watch that second look. And the other part is be kind to your wife and your spouse and make sure you have a healthy relationship sexually if that's physically possible for you because then I think that will help with the temptations uh, in, in daily life. Pastor Mike Avendroff, No Compromise Radio, our guest this morning on Stand Up For The Truth. When we come back with Pastor Mike, wrongfully using sex to manipulate others. Pastor Mike Abendroth of No Compromise Radio, our guest a little later, will tell you how you can connect with No Compromise Radio. You're going to find it to be great, insightful teaching uh, to really help you throughout the week. Mike, last Friday, David and I received an anonymous letter from a male listener. Uh, and he said his wife was talking with other professing Christian women in church after the service. And these women concluded the only way to get their husbands to, quote, stay in line was to withhold sex from them. Can you show us in God's Word where this is wrong in so many ways? Sure. I think big picture, I think the tendency for ladies, if they're not thinking properly, is to use sex as a weapon. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 7 right now and find that that's incorrect. And we'll also look from the men's perspective, I think, as you watch this passage unfold, that to demand or to order, uh, if you're a man, would be wrong as well. Before we look at 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 5, because that's really the issue there, uh, let me quote R.C. Sproul. Quote, I would like to make a rather bold assertion. In every single marriage that ends in disaster, some stupid decisions were made with respect to God's regulations. If God's regulations were followed, there would be not only no divorce, there would be no unhappy marriages. R.C. Sproul said, if you want a happy marriage, the most intelligent thing you can do is to submit to God's regulations. Mm -hmm. A great delusion is contained in the thought, if I keep his commandments, I will not be happy. End quote. And so with that, God knows he's designed us, he knows what's best, and he has given us uh, a law and commands, and because we're in Christ Jesus, we can obey those, and we should out of gratitude. And he says to this sexually perverse culture, the Corinthian culture 2,000 years ago, hence the word to Corinthianize, he says in verse 1, now concerning the matters about what you wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And so they were writing that Paul, and maybe what was happening is there's so much sexual sin going on, maybe we shouldn't have sex within a marriage. Uh, maybe the spouse of one was not a Christian and the other one was, and would it be okay for an unbeliever then to have sex with a believer? Would that sully the relationship? And so Paul addresses that. And of course, God has created us male and female, and uh, we are to use our bodies in a certain way. Sex isn't just for procreation, it's for pleasure. And then he said, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, 
and that's a euphemism for sexual relations when we say have. And then something that's amazing, because the society back in those days treated women like second-class citizens, but here, as the husband should have his wife, then it says, reciprocally, each woman should have her own husband. In other words, you should have sex in marriage. Uh, The day you say, I do, in marriage, is the day you said, I will, have sex with your spouse. And celibacy is wrong and sinful in marriage. Now, I'm not talking about people who are physically unable, but I'm talking about if you're able, you are to have each other, each to each other. And so it says in verse 3 of the ESV, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. It's a duty. She's owed that. And likewise, the wife to her husband. They're bound to each other. They want to promote the happiness of each other. They, they love each other, and they want what's best for each other. That's what love is. And so in this great picture of, of marriage, Christ and the Church, we have this couple. And it says in verse 4, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And so sex in marriage is commanded and it is not to be used for manipulation. And so there's probably more going on to that email because mm-hmm. it's just one side. Uh, but any ladies who are listening, if you're using sex to manipulate your husband, uh, while you may be thinking that will get your way, uh, I would remind all the listeners that holiness is more important than happiness. And uh, if you reward sexual, uh, reward their, their, their behavior with sexual privileges and withhold uh, for punishment, uh, the text says uh, that would be sinful, and uh, you ought not to deprive one another, verses 5 and following. Yeah, and that verse 5, is, is it's a clarion warning, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then he says, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And I think if a spouse is trying to control or manipulate their spouse through sex, I think Paul's saying here it could blow up in your face. Well, yeah, it's like, okay, let you, do, do you think your marriage is difficult now? And, of course, every marriage has its difficulties because you have two sinners that say, I do, and the only potential mates you have come from the sinner's gene pool, and so there's going to be difficulties. And then you say, well, I, I'm going to do things my own way. What's worse than two sinners in a relationship, save sinners who are going through problems? Well, I'll tell you what's worse is having Satan come right into the marriage by telling the other person, you know what, no, I won't, and if you don't do this, uh, I, I'm not going to, uh, to be with you. And so you have to be careful not to rob your spouse when it comes to sexual relations. My guess is most of the time it's the man who has more desire than the woman, uh, but I'm sure there are, some, there are some exceptions to that. But in either case, it's a present tense in verse 5. Do not deprive one another. Never do it. If you're depriving your, your spouse now, stop it. And so uh, for men uh, and for women, they can't have sex anywhere else. They can't look at anyone else. They can't desire anyone else. It's only the spouse. And then when the spouse says, no, I won't uh, because I'm going to use this to manipulate it just causes all kinds of problems, and uh, uh, sadly, this happens all the time. On the flip side with men, I think men ought to love their spouses and serve them and uh, romance them throughout the day and uh, pull up into the driveway and pray, Lord, how could I serve my wife today versus me wanting to be served? And I don't think they should use this verse to command uh, and demand. Uh, I think he should love and uh, lay, lay down his life for his wife. Uh, but I think this is, uh, in, 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 if that lady hears this, she, she should say to her husband, I'm sorry, I won't do that anymore. Please forgive me. Pastor Mike, I'm glad you explained what you did here and also earlier used the word manipulation, which is very wrong. But I want to get your take on the biblical context of some couples as they get older— they stop having sex, and their relationship just takes on a different focus in that department. But then there are some, and I've known people in their 80s that 
you know, I don't want to get into detail, but they were still having sex in their 80s. But yet I've known other people in their 50s that stopped having sex or barely did that very often. I'm talking about, you know, in the Christian context here, can you give a balanced perspective here? I know you just gave a summary of of that teaching in, in Corinthians, but what is your thought on the two different, maybe extremes perhaps? Right. Well, if both couples, you know, aren't able to, or one of them isn't able to, and there's some kind of physical issue, of course, I understand that. If both couples just have no more desire because they've gotten older and uh, testosterone is low and and uh, the female equivalent is low and they just, they just are both content, of course, I don't have any problem with that. But if one of the two, or both of the two, want to and have desire to, then the couple should be. And so I think it's probably general that if I say to myself, you know what, whoever's got the most desire for intimacy in a relationship of marriage, that's probably the frequency, because um, whoever's got the, the, the more of the desire, that they have no other option except for their spouse. And so I just think what happens is there's, there, there are other factors. And so you look at Ephesians and, and how to love one another and how to lay down your life for one another and to be kind and not to let bitterness come in and to forgive one another. Lots of times it just becomes too difficult for a couple to get there because there's all these unresolved issues that need to be dealt with for forgiveness and, and acceptance and everything else. And so I, I think that, that probably is the underlying factor. And then it just, you know, it, it evolves into this, this sexless marriage. Uh, even when I went and had some prostate cancer stuff done, they were asking me uh, about that because I think they're not going to try to help people um, uh, save certain things if they, they, they have no desire in their marriage for that. So I'm sure that happens, but if, if there's one who still wants to, then they should probably uh, really work on that. I remember an old secular talk show host uh, got a phone call from a woman who was complaining about her husband and how he wanted to be with her all the time. And uh, the lady said, well, how old are you? And the caller said, she's 45. And then here's what that secular talk show host said. Okay, let me get this straight. You're probably a bit wrinkly. You probably have to dye your hair. You probably gained a few extra pounds. And your husband worships the ground you walk on. He wants to be with you more than any other woman in the world. You still excite him more than anyone else. And you're the queen of his world. And you're complaining about this? (laughs) I thought... I think you ought to thank God you have such a great husband and get over it. Do you have any real problems to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's worse, worse problems to have, aren't there? Yeah. What? And so, anyway. Well, you know, Mike, and I, I want to get personal for a minute because I'm 65. My bride is, boy, if I get this wrong, I'm in all sorts of trouble. She's 58. Uh, we've been married 25 years. She's gray. Yeah, she's put on a couple pounds, but I look at her today and I see her as more beautiful than the day I married her. And we talk about sexuality and sexual intimacy with couples, but I think we can also go perhaps overboard there and put too much emphasis on sex as married couples. There's a lot of ways to cherish our wives and for wives to cherish their husbands. Sexual intimacy is just a part of that, right? Right. Well, I, I think what happens is we, we, we watch the passages in Scripture and we watch couples and— uh, Basically, the world is going to sell that love is sex and sex is love. And, of course, we as Christians know that there's a family kind of love, uh, there's a brotherly kind of love, there's a self-sacrificial agape love, and then there's an erotic love. And so I think it's helpful when we think along those terms that, of course, there's much more in a relationship that's a married relationship than sex. But I think in answer to the question, you know, I'm demanding it or my wife is using it to to manipulate me, then those things, you know, those need to be addressed. And I think there are probably deeper issues than that. The the good news is Hebrews 13 is true. The marriage marriage is to be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed, uh, that's that's where we get the word that we would have for union in in a sexual relationship, be undefiled. Uh, for God will judge the sexual immoral and adulterous. And so I just want to make sure Christians are thinking that this is good and right and holy and God-designed, and I don't want to think about sex and marriage uh, with some kind of worldly baggage that comes along with it. 
no matter what sexual sins any Christian has committed, whether it's fornication, adultery, homosexuality, pornography, uh, for those believers in Christ Jesus, that they're free in terms of paying the penalty for those sins, because Jesus paid for those sins at Calvary, and they can stand before God as perfect and righteous because they have another's righteousness, the Lord Jesus. And so if anybody would love you like that and pay for those sins like that for you, your response should be gratitude. Your response should be, I'd like to live a pure life now because I've got such a great Savior. So I want to make sure people hear it loudly and clearly that no matter what sexual sins have occurred and maybe are occurring right now, uh, that it would be a good time to repent from those because if you're a Christian, you have been forgiven. And if you're not a Christian, I find that lots of times, you know, you get a 16-year-old kid, he's got testosterone in a car, he's made a profession of faith at age 8, let's see what happens when he's got a car and testosterone's going, because now he's going to make all kinds of decisions. And so sometimes this is the easy one for me to tell, you know what, uh, I don't think your profession is really real, whether you're 32 or 16, because you're living with this girl, and First Corinthians 6 says fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God. Mm. Mike, normally we reserve our uh, email uh, email or comments and questions to Friday, but I just got one I'd like to throw your way. Uh, he says, uh, Pastor Mike, as a single person, how do I develop a God-pleasing relationship, knowing that fornication is wrong and all sexual contact is forbidden before marriage, including the engagement? Well, that happens regularly, and that's uh, the, the best thing I can tell uh, this particular young man, I think it is, yes. is, okay, when I used to think about testosterone uh, as a man, I, I would think, oh, you know, that's such a bummer because it drives you to do all kinds of things. But that wasn't wrong for God to design a man with testosterone. It's just what our wicked heart has done with it after. Mm -hmm. And so for married men, testosterone should say this to them. Be nice to your wife, be kind to her, love her, be considerate, mm. help her around the house, help her with the kids, do things that would uh, show self-sacrificial love for her. And what testosterone should say to a young man, and as I've told my son often, he's 23 and not married, um, work on your godliness and go out and win a godly wife. I mean, if, if you're sitting downstairs in the basement playing Call of Duty for 30 hours a week, uh, testosterone is going to be talking to you. I mean, I don't think God speaks outside of his word anymore except through testosterone. And testosterone <laughs> says, be godly, go win a wife, get serving in a local church. And uh, that's probably the best thing you can do, right? When you think of, of what you don't want to do and then what you do want to do, in, in other words... Uh, I don't want to sin with these desires, and so I better get busy doing some other things so I can win a wife and therefore have the pleasure of um, sexual intimacy. Uh, Pastor Mike, uh, in Matthew six twenty two talks about the eye being the lamp of the body, and it says if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your body will be full of darkness. Can that apply to our intake when it comes to television programming or the internet and pornography as men and even you know women who uh, have issues with pornography as well yeah I think what happens is uh, what I would probably use uh, maybe more familiar to the listeners uh, the lust of the eyes and so when we when we look at things and uh, then begin to, to, to lust and to look and you know there are so many movies now mm. and of course with Netflix you know, I don't know how many Netflix series I've started hoping it was going to be good. Yeah. And then it's like, wait a second, I have to turn that off. This is crazy mm -hmm. because I just don't need that in my mind. Uh, there's nothing wrong, uh, even with Solomon saying in Proverbs chapter 5, let her breast satisfy you at all times. That's the married, you know, not, not some kind of screen or pixels or something mm -hmm. else. So we have to avoid those things, and the lust of the, the eyes is a big one. And so I think we have to make sure we're, we're focusing on the right thing and realizing pornography and these other illicit images, it's, it's like a Ponzi scheme. You know, you think you're going to benefit right away, but the joke's really on you. And uh, while forgivable, of course, I never want to say that sexual sin is not forgivable. It needs to be, you need to flee from it. And, and I've had people email me and say, my husband's watching pornography and he won't stop, what should I do? And and I'll tell them, I, if I were you, I would get a ball-peen hammer out and smash that MacBook Pro to smithereens. Mm. And they're like, well, I can't do that. And I said, well, you asked me what I would do, and that's my suggestion. 
But we need to take radical steps because chapter 5 of Matthew, earlier in, in the Sermon on the Mount, radical steps to amputate sin. Mm, and I don't yes. mean amputate by really amputating, like Origen did, but I'm talking about uh, figurative amputating, get rid of these things no matter what. There are people that struggle with flirting in offices, and I've told them, I think you need to get another job. Oh, I can never do that. I think you need to get a job where you're not on the Internet all the time. Oh, I could never do that. Okay. I mean, I can't live your life for you, but this is really important. There's an end to all this. And just like the man who came to my office one day and said, could I take a shower in, your ch- in the church, Pastor? And I said, yeah, but why? Well, my wife kicked me out of the house. Why? Well, I was on the couch watching pornography with my phone and uh, fell asleep, and my 14-year-old daughter came out to wake me up and saw what I was watching. And so there's an end to this stuff. And so that's why we repent and confess, and then we walk in newness of life, uh, because as Ephesians 4.20 says, we didn't learn Christ that other way. We learn him this way, the pure way. You know, Pastor Mike, I appreciate you uh, for these first two segments talking about this, and I, I go back to what you said early on. We, we better start talking about this in church because when we don't have an answer to darkness, it just it expands. And, and we as Christians need to be mature enough to talk about what God's Word says about sexual relations within marriage and, and head it off at the pass and not, not let people that are Christians fall for the lives of the world. So I appreciate you taking the time to address this. When we come back with Pastor Mike Abendroth, the increasing level of hatred in our nation. Our final segment with Pastor Mike Abendroth, we switch from biblical sexuality to a nation that seems to be so angry and hateful these days. Uh, Mike, it's so sad to see what's happening in this supposedly civilized culture. Um, We've regressed from simply having discussions and disagreements over issues, and no longer do we say, I disagree with you, but the other side must be evil because they think differently than us. What do you think is under underlying all of this? Well, when I look at the world, I think of God-ordained institutions, and if God is going to ordain a few institutions, then Satan, of course, is going to attack those. So God ordains the church, and Satan attacks the church. God ordains the family, Satan attacks the family. And God has ordained government, and therefore government is attacked. And then everything becomes this highly charged back and forth. Uh, If you disagree with me, then I'm going to uh, make it a personal problem. I mean, you know, too often I think it's been, well, we're going to have to agree to disagree. And while I think there's a time and place for that, I would much rather have mature adults say, you know what, we're going to disagree, but we're still going to be friends. And we're going to disagree and still be friends, even though you're a Republican and I'm a Democrat, or vice versa, or independent. And so we can work through these things for the good of everyone. But I think what's happened in America, uh, once you turn into a country that says, I will vote for people that give me what I want and give me things for free, then it's over. And uh, I think you're just seeing the inevitable collapse of of America and uh, uh, discourse in America, and people are now angry, and they're not making arguments. It's all ad hominem, and uh, uh, maybe it sells, maybe it uh, gets ratings, uh, maybe it gets votes, I don't know, but you can just see the anger uh, uh, in in, in the world. The, The Bible actually says, with a command, be angry. But it goes on to say, and do not sin. And so there's, uh, there's an anger that's a righteous anger, but I don't see much of that righteous indignation in the world today. Does it frustrate you when um, maybe a mass shooting occurs and you see all, already you see all these people on television talking about excuses? It's either mental illness or whatever. The guy was a victim himself or, or then it— they just frame it so badly and so wrongly without even getting all the information, and they very rarely go to the heart as a problem, the issue of the heart. And that's, of course, what we know, as Jeremiah says, the heart of man is wicked, it's evil, it's beyond cure. Only God 
knows our hearts. That's why we ask him to search our heart. But as a pastor, Mike, when you see these things, when you hear these things happening and how the news might report it, and then you have their your experts, I guess, come on the air and say, well, this is what the problem is. What do you? How do you respond to that? Do you shut it off, or do you uh, listen and take notes for the next sermon? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, my wife and I were in California this summer, and she likes uh, Colby Calais. She's a, a singer, kind of from California, Hawaiian kind of songs, and she's sweet. And and so we I took her to the Gilroy Garlic Festival because she was playing. Uh, on Saturday oh, night. Wow. So we went, and then the very next day, and at an adjacent stage, uh, many, many people lost their lives there. And so I could listen to everyone talk about it and uh, going on and on about what's happening and what about gun control and what about this and what about that. And to answer your question, Dave, it, it, it does frustrate me because guns aren't the problem, sex isn't the problem. Alcohol isn't the problem. You know, whatever we, we, we it's, it's the heart is the problem. And so you get these people pontificating about all these issues when they never really deal with the heart. In the old days, when TV first came out, there'd be a tragedy, and they'd talk to the news reporter. They'd usually have a pastor, and they usually have some civic leader, and they would interview those. Well, the pastor's been replaced, and the pastor's been replaced mm, yeah. by some type of psychologist. Mm-hmm. And the one thing about psychology that's true in all the 300-plus different brands is they think humans are good. They think humans... Uh, are, are intrinsically good. And of course, we do good, but that's because of common grace. But our hearts, like you said, Jeremiah, are sinful. And so you, we're never going to solve the problem if we don't recognize that people aren't good. That's why our founders actually had the three branches of government, because they know that except in the case of the Lord Jesus, absolute power does corrupt, absolutely. It didn't in Christ's sake, in, in his case, because he's the pure and spotless Lord. But I just get frustrated because we always go to, well, we need more gun control when the most gun control in all the world is in Chicago, and look what it's doing there. That doesn't help us at all. And so they're all only Band-Aid solutions, and they're trying to, you know, put a tourniquet around, you know, a femoral artery that's blown, and it's just not going to work. You know, Mike, we we expect the world— uh, that does not know the Lord to act that way. And uh, the apostles told us it would get worse and worse before the Lord's return. But I, I see it professing Christianity. I, I, I got off social media because I couldn't stand it anymore. Christians hating on one another. The identifying characteristics of a Christian, according to Jesus, is we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. I don't see a lot of Christian love these days. I see, you know, somebody will post something, and somebody said, well, that guy's a Calvinist, or he's this, or he's that. It, it's, it's gotten to the point that even within professing Christianity in our nation, we, we act like animals and just look for reasons to hate people instead of really listening to what they have to say. Yeah, and Mike, don't you think, too, that in light of this, social media doesn't help us? Because let's say you and I get a disagreement on, online and we go back and forth, uh, even on email, uh, I would probably differ with you and argue with you differently, and of course we've, we haven't had a personal argument, but if we did, if we were face-to-face and we just sat down, we took a walk or I drove over to your house and we sat down, it would be a lot easier to work through these issues because you're right there, and I realize it's a person. Now, with pixels and, digi- pixels and digital things, I mean, people are just filleting each other without thinking, well, what would be best for them? And, uh, of course, Ephesians talks about words for edification and will this edify. Of course, we can tell people they're wrong, or that's not biblical, or that's not right. But there's a way to go about it. And, of course, Galatians talks about speaking the truth in love. The world says that means don't speak the truth at all. But as Christians, there's a way to say things. And all too often, I think, we just blast the email uh, versus going over to the person's house and just sitting down and and making it right. I have a Christian friend who's still on social media, but he's very considerate in what he says. And I say, how do you kind of, you know, control your tongue? And he said, Mike, when I'm talking with someone on social media I don't know, I assume he's six foot eight, three hundred and twenty-five pounds, and he knows where I live. (laughs) And to your point again of when we're direct face-to-face with somebody— 
we're apt to be more cautious and more considerate, but it's almost like social media has just removed every filter we have, and we just feel we can say whatever we want to say with no consequence. That's right. And in the old days, there was kind of a restraint. You know, it, it was not good form to show that you were boiling mad. It wasn't good. Good. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't right to you know lead with. Well, I've got all these mental illnesses, and I've got all these problems, and you know those things were kind of hidden, and, and people were more reserved. Uh, but these days, inhibitions uh, are gone. Uh, social mores are gone. Uh, even things, I mean, this goes back to our last two segments. I said to my son when he was growing up, going through puberty, uh, why do you think we, we like, open doors for, for ladies, and uh, we don't sit until the ladies uh, sit, and we put a, open a, put a chair, you know, for Grandma, and then slide her in? Why do you think we do that? I said, well, here's one of the reasons why we do that. It's because I want you to know ahead of time, before your home hormones kick in, that ladies are to be treated properly and with respect and you can't let your brute instincts take over and say you know what i just want to have them and to use them no no they're like special china and we need to take care of them in a special way and i'm going to teach you some externals opening for girls in our house he had three sisters they always got served first except for his birthday for food desserts car rides they always got served first why because there's a special spot reserved for the for women in the economy of god and so now we don't have manners we don't have etiquettes uh, etiquette at all and so i think that is also contributing to this other factor where we just want to spew forth what's ever in our hearts and the bible says uh, you ought to be careful how you speak lest you prove yourself a fool exactly you know mike we're uh, probably 15 months away from a presidential election and if the rhetoric right now uh, gets worse, this is going to get ugly. I mean, this is going to really, really get ugly. How do we as Christians, in, uh, no matter what our political persuasion is, how do we remain above the fray and not get sucked into all the hatred and vitriol and, and just horrible speech that we're going to see over the next 15 months? Yeah, well, to analyze it ahead of time is probably the best thing, and that's what you're trying to get your listeners to do now. So when it does happen, uh, you'll know what to do. That's what Paul did when it comes to preaching Christ in 1 Corinthians 2. He knew, all right, before I get any place, I've got my plan, and I'm going to talk about the Lord Jesus. And so it's the same thing with all this stuff that's going to come up. My, my best is I have to say to myself, God has ordained government. I am to speak properly about them. And if I'm more of a President Trump fan than President Obama fan, I still say President Obama or President Trump to give them the right kind of uh, biblical designation of respect. If Nero is we're commanded to respect Nero by Peter, then we're to respect everyone else. But more importantly, and above everything else, I need to think about people as image bearers. And the issue isn't Republican, Democrat, Independent. The issue is... They're going to die one day, and they're either going to go to heaven or hell. And uh, they're image bearers. They have eternal souls, and they're not the enemy. Satan's the enemy. They're not the enemy. Democrats aren't the enemy. Republicans aren't the enemy. And there's a lot of sinful people in both parties, obviously. And so, therefore, I just have to think, you know what? Um, For me, I don't put Trump posters in my yard or Clinton posters in my yard because People are already bugged at me by what I believe anyway. Why, <laughs> why make it worse? <laughs> Especially in Massachusetts, where even Republicans are Democrats. So <laughs> I, I just think we need to be careful to, to analyze things biblically and put them in right categories and realize, Lord Jesus, you're going to come back and make all this right. In the meantime, what we have is better than anarchy, although anarchy might be around the, school, right, around the corner. Yeah. It might be. And Mike, I think what you said was so important. When we can look at even our quote-unquote enemy with empathy, understanding that unless they come to saving grace in God, they're going to spend eternity in hell. When, when we can look at them that way, I think it lowers our blood pressure level. Mike, how do people connect with you and listen to your wonderful show, No Compromise Radio? Sure, you can listen at nocompromiseradio.com if you want to just go straight to the internet. 
Uh, if you want to go to iTunes or your podcatcher, you can go find uh, No Compromise Radio. And then this Sunday, I'll be preaching Proverbs 5. It's at bbcchurch.org. It probably gets posted a couple days after that, or all the other sermons, bbcchurch.org. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel, No Compromise Radio, with two or three minute segments. And uh, if they're interested in the book that I wrote uh, for my son about sexual fidelity, mm. that's also at the website, nocompromiseradio.com. So few dads talk to their sons. I put 30 short chapters about how do you talk to a, uh, a Christian about sex in that book, Sexual Fidelity. So they can get that there too. Excellent, Mike. Thank you so much. Good to have you back with us. And uh, Lord willing, we'll talk to you in September, my friend. Thank you. Go Patriots. I had a feeling that was coming. So. Thank you, Thanks, Mike. Man. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show and talk about tomorrow. Thursday, we're doing, uh, rejoined by author Dan Jensen. His book is A False Kind of Christianity, A Conservative Evangelical's Refutation of Progressive Christianity. We'll talk to Dan about the book and the dangers of what he sees in progressive Christianity. That's Thursday on Stand Up for the Truth. Uh, fascinating discussion always is, David, with uh, Pastor Mike Abendroth. And I think the thing I took away from his conversation was really when we don't talk about sexuality in the church and as Christians, uh, we, we are not putting light into a dark place and we're letting Christians uh, let the world define what sexuality looks like instead of the Bible. Yeah, we got behind on this one about 50 years ago and p perhaps even longer. And uh, that was before the awful anti-Christian godless programming really took over in Hollywood and all the entertainment industry for the most part. And then, of course, now we see it on, on the Internet and everywhere else. So we got way behind, and I don't know why, and I'm not going to pretend to know all the reasons and assume why pastors – didn't want to talk about sex, warning people about sexual issues and the temptations that could lead to sin and the heart issues and all that. Now what we're seeing today, the struggle within the church. We can't look at the world. They're, like Mike said, they're not our enemies, and they need Christ. They need to hear the gospel. They need to be saved. But when you're talking about Christians in churches that are struggling with all these sins and temptations, that's this is what we have to address. And I don't claim to know all the answers, but I know that we've got to get back to just really confronting these issues. I think, and this might be a simplistic answer, David, but I think that sexual sin makes us feel so dirty. And, and you know, it, it's, there's a lot of shame involved in it. And when you look at the statistics of men, including pastors who struggle with pornography, mm -hmm. uh, and women do too, you know, it, it's just something we feel so dirty about. But when we bring it into the light and confess to one another and ask one another for help, that's called discipleship. And then maybe we can lift this gloomy cloud over the church. For David Fierazzo, Mike LeMay, standing up for the truth. Be bold, strong, always, unashamed of the gospel, because the Lord your God is always with you.